Broadway Battles is a podcast that may contain mild language or adult themes. Viewer discretion is advised for those under 13. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Broadway Battles, the best quiz show about a musical you've never seen. I'm your host and resident musical theater expert, Haley Slammon. Just to let you know a little about myself, I'm an Oakland School for the Arts alumni. I have a BA in musical theater from Columbia College, Chicago. I've been singing and performing in musicals for the last 10 years, and I've loved them forever, so I promise you're in good hands. With me today is another dear friend of mine. He's an active member of the Bay Area dance community, has been a longtime Fezziwigger at Dickens Christmas Fair at the Cow Palace. I'd like to welcome Patrick Colford. Hey there, Patrick. How's it going? Oh, hello, Internet. It's going good. How are you, Haley? I'm pretty good. I've been working on the script, so I'm a little tired, but I'm really excited to have you here because my last guest was a music major. He played the violin and he'd done a few musicals, but you're really quite the musical theater expert. I, am I? I mean... I, I tend I, I to think okay. you are. I I mean, I know you go and see shows in New York. That's true. I know you know musicals that I don't know, which I'm not trying to brag, but that does feel like an accomplishment. There are a lot of musicals, though. They're I mean, like that's true, but I know a lot of musicals. That's true. That's also true. I mean, I know you told me your parents really got you into musical theater. Tell me a little about that. Yeah. So growing up in Lake County, I was blessed with two really active parents, uh, active in the drama community, and they did plays and musicals. And so there was a lot of community theater that we did. And I think... I think my first musical that I can remember being in is Annie Get Your Gun when wow. I was like eight or ten, something like that. And then just went from there. I was in The Mikado and Guys and Dolls and a couple other musicals. I can see you being really great in Guys and Dolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was one of the just nameless crapshooters, gangsters. gangsters. And my dad was Nicely Nicely Johnson, which is pretty good. But really the last cute. the last musical I was in was actually in college. I played a model in Fiddler, which was really fun. That's great. Yeah. Fiddler's a great show. And that was a long time ago, so I feel rusty. I don't feel like I know as much. I do go to I mean, New you York. do other acting, though, too, right? Like, Dickens That's true. is, I would say, a huge acting endeavor. That's true. And I have to sing for that, too, I guess. The Hallelujah Chorus counts and I Rule mean, Britannia you, you and all sing, that. you you dance, you... I'm the triple threat. You're a triple threat. <laughs> so today we're talking about Joseph. Right. You told me at a dance the other week that you hadn't seen this show. So tell me what you know about this show. I know that it is about a man named Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. Both of has, those things are true. It has something to do about the Bible, I think, maybe. It, it is based on the Bible. Okay. So, like Joseph, the, the father of Jesus, Joseph? No. No, a different, different Joseph. Different Joseph? There are many Josephs. I will be honest, I am not the most well-versed in the Bible. Are... I know this is based on the Joseph King of dream story okay but i don't know if he goes on to be the same joseph he very well it. might i kind of doubt it i doubt it as well but you're um, better versed in the bible than i am i will be very honest that that's that's not what this show is about this show is not a bible trivia show it's a musical trivia show that's good so are you ready to take my musical challenge i am great so we've already talked about how this is going to go, but let me just fill in anyone that's new here or anyone that doesn't know the rules. On each episode of Broadway Battles, I'm going to tell my friends the plot of a musical they've never seen, as well as show them the musical numbers, and we'll talk about some fun facts about the show and what we think about our impressions. At the end, we'll rank the best and worst songs, give our impressions an overall rating 1 to 10, and talk about if we'd pay to go see it, how much we'd pay to go see it. That's the easy part. 
along the way, I've written some questions for you. I have 12 today, I believe. They're basically about important dates, names, lyrics, anything I want to write about and thought was interesting. You'll have to use all your theater skills to guess them. They're multiple choice, you'll have a fair chance, but you will be on your own in terms of knowledge. Every question you get correct equals points you can use for bragging rights once you leave the show, but if you get all of them wrong, you'll be a theater failure and you must leave the show in shame and never to return because you'll know you have terrible guessing skills. That's a shame because this is a really nice house. I'd like to come back. <laughs> you can come back to my house. You just can't come back on the show. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. That's legit. <laughs> As always, if you have any questions, you should ask your stage manager, but since that's still me for the time being, you can just throw them out there. If you have any fun theater facts, stories, or upcoming events, feel free to share those as well. We'll have a shameless plug at the end of the episode. For now, though, do you need anything else cleared up before we start? No, I think I'm good. Great! Then let's play Broadway Battles! So before we even talk about the show... We're going to have to get to a musical because okay. this show did not start as one. Really? I usually ask the first question of what is the year the show premiered, but this has a little context that you're going to need first. So we're actually going to start in 1965. Okay. Andrew Lloyd Webber is 17 and he contacts a 20-year-old Tim Rice. They write a terrible musical called The Likes of Us and it bombs and no one buys it. That's not super important to the plot. <laughs> you just need to know that they wrote a musical and no one bought it. In 1965. In 1965. That's okay. your one hint. Okay. Alan Doggett, who helped them on this musical, was a teacher at Calais Colette Court. I couldn't find anyone pronouncing it. But he was a teacher at Calais Court. It was an all-boys school, and he wanted to help them get some more work after this failed show. So he contacted Novello Publishers. He got a deal with them to commission these boys to do a 15-minute pop cantata. Okay. The cantata included a hundred guinea advance and was supposed to be based on a couple of choral jazz numbers that Novello had published previously. They were Herbert Chappelle's The Daniel Jazz and Michael Hurd's Jonah Jazzman. Okay. They were weird jazzy choral pieces. It was the 60s and people were still doing very tonal, blocky harmonies, especially for young choruses. And these were two pieces that had syncopated rhythms and kind of jazzy biblical numbers. And so Alan Doggett said, make me something like like this, I want it to be 15 minutes long, here's a hundred bucks. Okay. And 19-year-old Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice were like... We love a hundred bucks, sure. We, we love a hundred bucks, we'll make this, we'll put a bunch of musical styles in it. Okay. So that happened, it did well, it toured around in like a 20, 30-minute school form for a while. Eventually it was developed into a full show. Question number one is what year did that happen? What year did Joseph appear as a full musical as opposed to a school production that was 20 or 30 minutes long? As always, if you get it within five years, you get one point, and if you nail this year on the head, you get five whole points to start off with. Okay. Uh, given that the first iterations of this began in 65, I'm gonna say... So they didn't begin in 65. That's the year they wrote the right. musical that bombed. Right, 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 right. But Just it has so to know. be past 65. Mm -hmm. It does have to be and past 65. And I'm gonna 65. assume classic kind of development time of like a while. So I'm gonna guess 72. That's a really good guess. 
You are within two years. It is 1974, so you're already starting off with some points. Right. I see that this show holds promise. Exciting. Not so, a yes. failure. Yeah, I got my point. <laughs> Not a failure. Don't get kicked off the show. Hmm. So in 1967, this commission happened. It premiered March 1st in 1968 at the Calais Court School. It was 15 minutes long. Andrew Lloyd Webber's dad got that show a second performance at the Westminster Central Hall in May of 1968. It was a 25-minute version then, so beefed up a little. And then a 35-minute version was at St. Paul's Cathedral. That's the version that got its first release on Decca Records. It was a 32-minute recording. It was released in the UK in 69 and then was released in the US in 71 because Jesus Christ Superstar just had its album release and it was very successful. So Joseph was pitched as a sequel to JC Superstar in the US. Okay. For a while it ran as a church and school show in the US as well. This 35-minute version, people really liked it. They thought it was incredibly wholesome. It was easy to put on for schools. Okay. It was very consumable. So it did that. It came back to the Edinburgh International Theatre Festival in 72. It was put on by the Young Vic Theatre Company, directed by Frank Dunlop and starring Gary Bond as Joseph, Peter Reeves as the narrator, and Gordon Wallerus as the pharaoh. Alan Doggett was also the musical director, so he basically didn't ever stop helping this show get off the ground. That's sweet. Yeah, it, he, he like... very much seems like a little Andrew Lloyd Webber mentor. Okay, that's cool. In October, that production moved to the Young Vic Theater. It was still a 35-minute musical, but it was part of a double bill called Bible One, Two Looks at the Book of Genesis, Part One. The second part was Joseph. The first part was the director, Frank Dunlop, had written a play version of the first six medieval Wakefield mystery plays. Okay. And Alan Doggett wrote some music for it. It was basically an intro to Joseph that the people who were on the creative team wanted to pitch as their own profit piece. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that happened in 72 at the Young Vic. Producer Michael White and impresario Robert Stigwood saw this and they were like, we like that second thing, that Joseph thing, give us more of that. Okay. So they mounted a further expanded version at the Albury Theater in the West End. And this is the version that ran for 243 performances. It inspired people to develop it from a 35 minute show into a full musical. The mystery plays were dropped. Instead, they were preceded by a piece called Jacob's Journey. The music and lyrics were by Weber. The book was by Tim Rice. The dialogue was by comedy writers Ray Galton and Alan Simpson. And basically this piece was a lot of spoken dialogue that eventually got phased out for a sung through score that was the rest of Joseph. Okay. They wrote a bunch of spoken word and they were like, none of this works sure. as dialogue. I mean, I have heard of Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber and not those other two people, so I can imagine why. That was kind of the jumping off point to workshop it into a full show. That happened at the Haymarket Theater in Leicester because the first production of the show in its final form happened there in 1974. And it played several times there in 74 through 78. On their website, it's credited as the place that the show was developed into the full thing. Gotcha. So it certainly happened here, but I couldn't get very exact dates on when the show ran. It says 74, 75, 76, 78, and like 83. So I don't know if they're one the engagement. Missing 
tournaments years. or or short runs. I don't really know, but that's where it happened. That's the version that gets the full plot and all of the songs that most people are used to hearing. That's also the version that got the first recording released of the full musical. It was released by the MCA label also in 1974. The same year, it also went back to the US. It went off off Broadway in Playhouse in the Park in Philadelphia and Brooklyn Academy of Music. It was Holiday Fair that was playing in these regional cities. What, like Christmas time stuff? Yeah, it's it's kind of a Christmas show. I blame Dickens for this one too. <laughs> I'd buy that. In 1981, it got an off-Broadway production at the Intermedia Theater. It was directed by Tony Tanner. Bill Hutton played Joseph. Laurie Beachman played the narrator. So this is actually the first time the narrator is a woman. I assume it's because they'd been working off of the all-boys school sure. chorus thing. Sure. They didn't have any female characters in this show, really. The wives are the only characters that are female. So they, I guess, decided in the 80s, we really should have a girl in this show. Hey, progressive. <laughs> That production then transferred to Broadway at the Royal Theater January 27th, 1982, and it ran for 747 performances to September 4th, 1983. It's notable that the producers for this show were Gail Berman and Susan Rose. Susan Rose is the youngest producer on Broadway. Oh, she neat. was 25 when she produced the show. I don't, get it, get it, girl. I don't know who, how you get producer money at 25, but yeah, she seems like a badass. I, and I wanted to throw her name in there. I don't, I don't know. I, I hope she stole it from She's people. She's also produced The Band's Visit. Oh, I love The Band's and, Visit. And like several other really cool shows. When I was looking at her bibliography of things she's taken on, I think she has a really good eye for projects. Okay, damn. The Broadway run was recorded on the Chrysalis label. It was the first to feature the prologue song. And on this recording, it was called You Are What You Feel, but it got changed to the prologue later. The last big production we're going to talk about before we get into the movie is going to be the London Palladium. So in 1991, the expanded version was restaged in London again at the London Palladium in the West End. It was directed by Stephen Pimlott. Anthony Van Lost was the choreographer. Jason Donathan was the lead. And it won the 1992 Laurence Olivier Award for set design, Ooh. just as a fun little fact. This is basically the version of the show that made Joseph... Joseph. A thing. The movie okay. is based on this. Okay. This is the version that kind of cemented the aesthetic, I will say. Okay. However, in 1992, it also opened in Toronto. That's the version Donny Osmond was in before <laughs> he was in the movie. So it seemed important to mention, but it's kind of the last important production that we're going to talk about. There were a couple more. It was revived in the U.S. one more time. It played in L.A. and then it moved here and then it moved to Broadway. Okay. It did fine. It's been revived in London again. There was a reality show attached to it. What? <laughs> How do you attach a reality show to a musical? You make the audition process American Idol. Oh, God. So this has been done for several shows. It was actually done for Legally Blonde. We talked about it, but it had to be really? cut for time. Yes. MTV bought the show. Right. I, I do remember that. They also added on Becoming the Next Elwoods, where they cast oh, a new Elwoods after Laura Bell Bundy left. No, but also exciting, <laughs> I guess. So, I don't know. It seems an opportunity to 
outrageously produce and well, do bad things to the casting process, which is already really stressful. I mean, that's kind of true. I I have mixed feelings about this. So when Joseph did it, they they picked their Joseph. They got a whole revival cast together. It was going to be a limited run. The show made $10 million in ticket sales. Whoa. The show was so successful and critically received that reviewers basically said, hey, this person that won this show, he can do this show for as long as he wants it. And when he left, it closed within months. Wow. So I'm not saying that reality American Idol shows <laughs> are the way to pick your your stars. But it did work out for Joseph. But I'm also saying that three casters in a room have given me Angelina Jolie playing Asian women and Will Smith as the genie. So <laughs> maybe give me the masses. <laughs> Let the masses choose our stars. The masses are sometimes right. It's weird. Laws of averages laws of numbers i mean it's weird if anyone is gonna make a decision on who should be in a show it should probably be the masses who see a show as opposed to like three white dudes who made a lot of money and have directing power excellent point yeah i don't know if they're good but andrew Lloyd weber has done like three of them so they're a thing they do happen they do and sometimes they're incredibly successful but that's really the last big production that has been done. I do want to mention there have been several productions mounted with both X Factor and American Idol stars. Okay. The version of this that I have seen was with American Idol runner-up Ace Young and Diana DeGarmo. I promise I don't know who those people are. They're both just big American Idol people who didn't win and got married and did Joseph. Okay. The X Factor is kind of similar. Basically, if you've been wondering where the people on X Factor and American Idol go, they go to Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, it seems. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Oh, this is going to get cut too, but I really want to tell you that, <laughs> that the Broadway version, the one that ran on Broadway, yeah. it starred Michael Damien. He's in The Young and the Restless. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. This is a weird show already. Joseph maybe has one of the weirdest lists of people who have played Joseph. I mean, Donny Osmond. One of the people from the Partridge family also played Joseph before Donny Osmond played Joseph. Weird. Okay. Neat. Um, yeah. Okay. It's a weird show. That's why I had to put so much of this in there, because this, I don't care about production as much on the show like productions are important the broadway run is important but i don't usually get into the minutia of broadway run touring run because it's not as interesting to me but this one was just a little too weird to not have did rice and minutes about it tap into some unknown rule of the universe whereby like b-list stars just gravitate towards it (laughs) not to besmirch the talents of people who make a living performing i don't know but it seems weird there have been several lead singers of bands that have been joseph as well okay it's definitely a pop music show so it's not you know it's not phantom it's not as vocally demanding as some other broadway shows you can definitely have pop singers in it and so i kind of feel like that's an easy gateway for let's have some b-list celebrities who can sing kinda fair enough but i don't yeah i don't know if andrew lloyd weber is actively seeking out you know people who need celebrity comebacks and want to sing (laughs) joseph i don't i don't think that's happening but but that's a conspiracy theory i'd love to believe put on the technicolor dream coat (laughs) 
so those are all the really important stage performances, but obviously we have to talk about the movie. Which we are going to watch. Which we're going to watch. I'm excited. Because I think if there is a definitive version of Joseph, the movie is the definitive version. Here's a small list of reasons why. It has Donny Osmond in it. It's the version that everyone has seen because everyone has access to a movie. Right? You're not going to pay $100 to go see Joseph if you're not a big musical theater buff. You can find this on YouTube for free. Right. Yeah, this is a show Andrew and Weber, I, he just doesn't seem to care about his copyright. I don't know, man. It is everywhere. This show is, is available. It's part of the bargain. But yeah, I think the movie is the most definitive version because if people have seen Joseph, odds are they've seen this version. This version is basically the same as the London Palladium version, which is considered the definitive version. And also the movie lets you see all the cool, campy, silly things that the stage version doesn't. All of the costumes, all of the crazy sets, they're right in front of you in this movie and it's great. I think it lets it be everything that this camp piece of crap was supposed to be. <laughs> it knows it, so I don't even feel bad saying that. Okay. Before we get into it, let's talk about the biggest change in the movie, I think. It's set in a Catholic school. This is the only version as far as I can find that does that. Most of them just have the narrator framing the show. Some of them have children that she sings to. If the show has a children's chorus. The kids are usually roped Actual into kids. all the narrator's songs. Yeah, they're, okay. they're kids that are listening to the story. But this is the only version that makes Joseph a presentation at a school assembly at a Catholic school. Okay. The one cool thing they do with this facade is nice, that all... Nice use of facade. ...is that all the teachers, all the people who come in are characters in the show. And it's never really addressed, ever. They come on as teachers, you see them in the show as all the characters, and you see them in the credits as teachers. It never really breaks the fourth wall. It's just a cool little... Like three and a half wall. It, it almost gets there and yeah. it doesn't. It's not even, it's just, hey, look at this thing we did. We didn't want to hire teacher extras. Okay. But I think it's, I think it's a kind of cute concept yeah. if you're going to put this show in a school. So before we even start the plot, there's two songs to set up the show. Okay. This happens in both the movie and the stage version. The narrator comes out. She sings the prologue. She says, we all have dreams. There was once this guy who followed his dreams and his name was Joseph. And he followed all his dreams and all of his dreams came true. And you should do the same thing because if you dream it, you can do it. You are what you feel, which is what used to be the title of the song. Okay. After she says that and she motivates all the kids and sets up the show, who should come out but our beautiful boy, Joseph slash Donny Osmond. He sings Any Dream Will Do, which if we're talking commercial success, is the hit from this show. Okay. Any Dream Will Do is the thing that sold the album for this musical. And it doesn't... <laughs> it doesn't do anything for the plot at all. Joseph just talks about his dreams and sings with some kids sometimes. I mean, very uplifting pop songs. It kind of tells you... I mean, do that, to be I fair, guess. it does kind of tell you the whole plot of the show. Okay. Like, I had my coat and I lost my coat and now I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joseph, great. 
But now is the story about how he lost his coat, right? But yes, it's basically the rest it's of the setting show up is... the show. It's okay. giving the show like a nice, hopeful, idealistic vibe of we're gonna go have some dreams and they're gonna they're gonna come true and everything's gonna work out. So these first two songs are kind of a musical chunk. We're gonna listen to them together. Here's the prologue and any dream will do. Cool. Classic. Oh, Maria Freeman kills. You're not ready. <laughs> Maria Freeman is the best thing about this show. Okay. Hands down. I love Donny Osmond. It's not even Bra- a competition. Brave of you to admit that. It's not even a competition. Our queen! I just think she has the most expressive face on the planet. She's pretty great. She also kind of looks like Jane Lynch. Oh, yeah. My dad asked me last night if the lesbian from Glee was in Joseph, <laughs> and I was like, no, it's not Jane Lynch, but she does look suspiciously like her. Right have, in the heart. I don't have a lot to say about this song. It's just idealistic. Here is Hope. Hope the song. Amazing yeah, guitar riff. It's actually not any what? of you. It's Dottie Osmond. <laughs> coming in like Jesus. You can see how this would sell a million copies. Oh, yeah. Did Tim Rice write the score to The Lion King? I think so. This sounds like that, right? Yeah. So the one thing I will say about this show, musically, it does a lot of things. You can definitely hear other things in this thing. Cats came out a year after this. You can hear some cats. Our show is officially set up now with those first two songs. We've sung to our children. We've inspired them. It's time. It's time to go to Canaan, actually. Okay. The narrator strolls out with the coat after these two songs. Joseph puts it on. And suddenly, we're transported into the story. We're in the land of Canaan. And the narrator introduces us to Jacob, all of his wives, all of his sons, and all of their wives in a song called Jacob and Sons. Question number two. How many sons does Jacob have? Is it A, five, B, seven, C, 10, or D, 12? I want to say it's B, seven. You want to say seven I mean, sons? For seven, seven brides for seven It is sons. not seven no. brides for seven brothers because Joseph has 11 brothers. Jacob has 12 oh. sons. Oh, no. Jacob, That's a lot. as we learn in the song Jacob and Sons, is a man who gets busy. He has so many children that he has been able to populate the entire nation of Canaan. I, I it's the don't... Bible. It's okay. the Bible. Okay. That happens. Okay. So he has a lot of wives. He has a lot of sons, 12 sons in this story, to be precise. And Jacob is his favorite son because his mom was his favorite wife. Okay. But let's go meet that beautiful big family and listen to Jacob and Sons. Hats. Yeah, I decided this show is too good to not look at. Also, why does Benjamin wear a yarmulke and the rest of them wear turbans? It's a great question. Benjamin is the best boy. Our beautiful derpy boy! Oh, I was strolling through the desert. Just saw you there. I'll just stroll in from the desert. Not even from over a hill or anything. I'm just here now. I'm going to take a family photo. Aww, this is precious and very weird. Your family is precious. 
We have hats. Very we strange have sheep. hats. We have fake sheep. We have big hats. It's a happy little family. All righty. So we talked about Jacob being the favorite son. It's literally only because Jacob's favorite wife was Joseph's mom. So Jacob showers all of his favor on Joseph. The rest of the brothers are always really jealous. They seem so happy, though. They're just saying about how everyone was a big, happy family. We got the family portrait. They're not going to be. Oh, no. What happens next, obviously. I'm shocked by this alarming revelation. Jacob wants to show the whole world that this son is my favorite son. So he gives his favorite son a coat with many colors. Perhaps a Technicolor dream coat, if you will. I, I will. And so will Joseph, apparently. So Jacob gives Joseph this coat, and all the other brothers are really jealous. But Joseph gets a whole song to brag about his coat and how great it is. Question number three. Joseph's coat is, in fact, a coat of many colors. Which of these two colors is not mentioned in the song about his coat? So I'm going to give you six options. Oh. Pick two that you think are fake. The rest of these are real lyrics, real colors in this song. Okay. Two of them aren't. Okay. Is cream fake? Russet, teal, ochre, chartreuse, or mauve? Let me know if you need those again, because that was a lot. I almost certainly will. And I'm trying to think of good rhyming words with each of these. <laughs> teal seems very easy to rhyme, so it's probably in there. Ochre... I want ochre to be in this song so bad, <laughs> but it's hard to rhyme. And chartreuse isn't very easy either. Like what? It, the goose? I don't know. <laughs> the chartreuse goose. Yes, the chartreuse goose. Um, so once again, those are cream, cream russet, russet, teal, teal. Ochre, ochre, chartreuse, or mauve. Everyone needs a good mauve, especially Joseph. Uh, I'm going to say that. Oh, God. Russet and ochre are not in the song. Oh, baby. You were so close with your chartreuse. Damn it! Did I get did I get one of them? You did not no! get any of them. Because the fake ones are chartreuse and teal. What? There is no teal in this song. Teal is the easiest word out of those to rhyme. All of those Seal, other words. wheel, nope. deal, nope. meal, god. Android Weber wanted to challenge. You have, you have failed me, Weber. Russet and Ochre are both in this, this song. Should have gone with Chartreuse. This is not the commercial hit. This is the hit in my heart. <laughs> Joseph's Coat is the best song musically in the show, maybe. I'm really worried that my first point is going to be my only point, but let's keep going. <laughs> All right. Let's listen to this beautiful song about his coat. To be honest, I think Donny Osmond might be the one of the only people on the planet who can make me not hate Joseph. <laughs> like, this boy is an asshole. He's like, oh, I'm so great. I got this beautiful coat and all my brothers are worse than me. But Donny Osmond's just such a beautiful, dopey boy that I'm like, yes, Joseph, you go ahead. Follow your dreams. How do you want your brothers to look menacing? Give them eyeliner. Apparently. All right, but really, Donnie, your coat is like eight colors. It's just the rainbow. And so the answer, of course, is you don't need to rhyme the words yeah. if you just sing them. I feel deceived. 
by both you and Andrew. Did Lay you by. notice that all these children just magically gained rainbow clothes? And when they ran clothes. through the fourth wall. Yeah. Yes, there will also be rave sheep. I require my rave sheep, please. <laughs> Rockstar. Showstopper. Rockstar Joseph. So Joseph's great. He has his coat. He's the best boy. <laughs> We also find out that Joseph has some crazy dreams, man. He has prophetic dreams. And not only does he have prophetic dreams, he has the power to interpret these prophetic dreams so he knows exactly what they mean. He tells us about his dreams, again, in a song appropriately named Joseph's Dreams. I'm really loving the original song names. His dreams say that he is destined for greatness, that he's going to rule over his brothers because one day they will all bow to him. Not cocky at all. He's just the best boy in his beautiful coat. The patriarchy runs deep. Question number four. In his dreams, he says all these things are going to happen. Which of the two things on this list does Joseph see in his dreams to tell him this? So he dreams about two things. Which of these are those things? Number one, does he dream about cows? Number two, does he dream about corn? Number three, stars? Number four, bread. Number five, grapes. Or six, sand. We have cows, corn, stars, bread, grapes, and sand. What's a dream symbol that says, I will rule over all? I mean, stars is pretty classic. And I also kind of want to say grapes, because wine and all that, but this is the desert. Oh. Maybe it's the cow, too, because cows are like golden bulls and all that nonsense. Damn it. Damn it. Um, Your I, frustration is telling me I write good question answers. Good, good job. You're an excellent question near. I'm going to stick with... I'll take whatever compliment you want to give. Sure. I'm going to stick with stars. And then for my second guess... Corn is also tempting, but for weird reasons. I'm, Why are you tempted by corn? I, aren't you tempted by corn? I think everyone's tempted by corn. It's delicious. I mean... Butter, grill, let's do it. Bam. Sure. Anyway, corn. cows and stars. You're going cows and stars? Cows and stars. You should have gone with the corn. It's stars and corn. Really? It's stars and corn. But God you'll get damn. one point. Yeah. So I'll add that to your total. That's two. You're on question four, so you have eight questions left. Plenty of time, plenty I, of time. I can get to four. I can get to four points. Absolutely. Oh, Listeners, my entire goal oh, has been it? to get to four points. All right. It is true, in fact, Joseph dreams about corn and stars to tell him he is better than all of his brothers. His brothers don't oh, like oh, any like of the, this. His stock of corn grows higher than theirs or his something? His corn is the best corn. Okay. All the other corn bows to his corn. That's weird. Corn shouldn't be bowing. There's also a corn ballet. We'll get to it. A corn ballet? Yep. Okay. He tells us all about his dreams and his brothers don't like any of it. So they have a jazzy little Chicago type dance number to say, we're going to kill him. Because <laughs> of his dreams about stars and corn, he but, deserves yep, to die. And also because our dad loves him better than he loves it us. It is truly a dual purpose number. This is Joseph's <laughs> dreams. I dreamed that in the fields one day, the corn gave me a See, I said corn ballet. And you definitely thought wow. something. You thought something that was corn ballet, and it wasn't this, was it? It was not. This is the best corn ballet I've ever seen. <laughs> Oklahoma would be offended. Oklahoma can be offended. 
Yeah, I I guess 19-year-old Andrew Lloyd Webber was really just determined to put every genre in music. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say about this show. It's, it's endeavor is to put every genre in music. It seems a bad plan to try and kill a prophet, by the way. It For real. Not Our brother that has well. prophetic dreams, right? We should definitely kill that guy. Of course. He'll never see it coming. <laughs> the next day after this dream thing happens, the brothers take Joseph far away. It's not explained in the show. It doesn't really matter. They take him far away and they throw him into a pit. Like you do. They're gonna leave him to die there, but... By some random fortunate happenstance, some Ishmaelites ride by on a very fake-looking camel. The brothers sell him into slavery for silver coins. They basically say, we have this guy, he can read and write, he'll be a great slave. Very hardworking, super skilled. Would you like to buy him instead of just, you know, having us kill him out in the desert? Win-win for everyone. So the brothers sell him into slavery. It, it seems like the brothers' resolve just wanes very suddenly. Like, they're all, they're just saying Asan about how they're ready to kill him. And then they're like, ah, uh, now we want money instead. I mean, yeah, where's, that's, where's, that's basically how it's explained. They basically the change their mind. Well, no, they decide we need the cash. Okay. Pretty much instantaneously. Okay. They're like, we could kill him, but we also would just much rather never see him again and have some money. This is why you're bad at your job, brothers. You had one job. Job. Because they don't follow your dreams. <laughs> so they sell Joseph into slavery. They get some silver coins. Question number five. The brothers also take his coat. What do they do with it? A. Do they burn it? B. Do they bury it? C. Do they throw it back in the pit where they were going to throw Joseph? Or D. Do they smear it with animal blood? Burn it. Bury it. Throw it in the pit, smear it in blood. Smear it in blood seems really, like, specific to not be the right answer. And it also, like, lets them take it back to their father and say, like, oh, no, he was attacked by a wild animal. So I'm going to go with animal blood. That's a really good deduction because you are correct. They smear it in animal blood. The brothers kill a goat, in fact and smeared the coat in, in the animal blood. They rip it apart. Yep. They take it back to the dad and tell him that Joseph was killed protecting the rest of them from a goat. How noble to stop a rampaging herbivore from killing 11 brothers. I mean, man, goats can be vicious. That's true. <laughs> 11 healthy brothers can't take on one goat. Nope, so. we're, we're not taking on a okay. goat. Well, Joseph tried to protect them. Right, He just and wrestled died. with the goat and died. died. This is the most believable story. Yep. <laughs> they rip up his coat. They smear it in blood. This whole sequence happens in a song called Poor, Poor Joseph, which is, of course, a rap number. <laughs> of course. We had to have rap before rap. This song is called Poor, Poor Joseph. It's the song where they send him off into slavery. And we'll get back to the ranch after. In a flash, the brothers change their plan. Yep, it really does happen that fast. Wow. What a beautiful boy. So I watched this the other day to take notes on this script, and I asked myself, is this the weirdest number in this show? 
And I said to myself, well, knowing what comes in the show, it's debatable. It could be. I maintain that 19-year-old Andrew Lloyd Webber composing had a good time. I bet. So we destroy the coat. We get it back to dad and we tell dad Joseph was killed, protecting us from this awful goat. He wrestled this goat and died. We brought you back his coat as a souvenir of his love for us. Noble boy that he is. The dad, of course, is heartbroken. He takes the coat. He leaves. All the brothers then have a celebration with all their wives. And we're in a desert, so it's a country western number. Of course. Called One More Angel in Heaven. Aww. It's one of the two big dance numbers in the show. It's the big partner dance number. I would definitely say this is something akin to like an Oklahoma dance number. Big golden age production numbers of old. This is kind of what that feels like. So I don't have any questions. We can just go into this one directly. Here's One More Angel in Heaven. Hold down. The cactuses light up. I mean, wouldn't yours if you were? Dad's gone. Time to light up those cactuses and have a hoedown. This definitely feels like a number that got added later so the women in the show could have more to do. (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you. Now they have boots. Wow. I don't know what the wife costuming is. They just, they're whatever fits the show. So while all the brothers are getting down on the ranch, meanwhile in Egypt, Joseph is enslaved and he's sold to Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the palace guard. He's one of Egypt's millionaires. And Joseph starts as a basic slave in his house, but he likes the guy, and so he works really hard. Potiphar notices and he says, come lead my household. You seem like a very stand-up slave. I'm gonna make you my right-hand man, basically. You will be in charge of all my other slaves and you'll be treated very well. You'll have your own quarters. You'll have a good time, as lush as you can be in servitude. However, Potiphar has a hot, slutty wife. (laughs) As most powerful men do. Of course. And Potiphar's wife thinks Joseph is a snack. Um, nom, nom, nom. She asks him every day, come lie with me. Sure. And he says no, but she's his owner, so she's able to force him into an uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. And Potiphar walks in on them in this uncomfortable situation. Question number six. What does Potiphar do next? A. Does he throw Joseph in jail? B. Does he send Joseph to the Pharaoh to be executed? C. Does he kill his wife? Or D. Does he throw both of them in jail? Just Joseph in jail? Send him to be executed, kill his wife, or throw both his wife and Joseph in jail? This is hard. Um... I'm going to go with send him to the pharaoh to be executed, because that seems like the way that Joseph actually manages to get out of this awful situation is like he impresses the pharaoh. That is an excellent guess, but this is not JC Superstar. He does not get sent to pharaoh. He just gets thrown in jail. Okay. 
Potiphar says you'll spend the rest of your life in prison and Joseph is thrown down a hole into a prison. That all happens. Unlucky, unlucky, unlucky. unlucky. Don't get forced into slavery. I don't know what the moral of the story is for this one. (laughs) But don't do it. But it's a classy Charleston number called Potiphar. And it is aesthetic. (laughs) I think you should play this role. I think you should play this role. It's great. It's super fun. And I think you do it very well. Okay. So yeah, let's take a listen to Potiphar's number. But my wife would never. It kind of reminds me of a Queen number. Maybe Night at the Opera would have come out by then. Maybe. But I'm not 100% sure. She was beautiful. Wow. Beautiful but evil is a mood. Potiphar's wife is half Cruella de Vil, half Nefertiti. Yes. I'm, I'm there for it. So let's talk about the Donny Osmond diaper. Loin <laughs> cloth or diaper? Wow. Poor Potiphar. So Joseph goes to jail. It's sad. It is sad. It's sad. I'm crying on the inside, which is the more important place to cry. Are you? Yeah. It's going to turn out okay for him, though, right? Yeah. I mean, he had a dream. He had a dream. Golden sheaves and stars and everything. So he ends up in prison. He's thrown into a cell. We basically immediately go into the second... Let's just call it the second Donny Osmond number. Okay. Joseph sings a sad song called Close Every Door. It's a big old ballad. It's got some great high notes. It's his energy drop song. Maybe the 11 o'clock hour number, if you were going to categorize it in that way. Okay. Again, it doesn't add anything to the plot. It's a song about him being sad. And in the movie, the kids hold a candlelight vigil for Donny Osmond in a diaper, and it's very weird. Most of this musical is weird, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. A good 90% You probably didn't know that going into it, but most people know that about Joseph. <laughs> but this number in the movie, just particularly strange, it's incredibly dark, and there are all these children standing around crying and singing while Donny Osmond, incredibly waxed, for the record, <laughs> smooth as a baby's butt, singing in a loincloth to the rafters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's this whole song. So we'll take a minute to listen to Donny Osmond belt his little heart out. Look at this boy's chest. (laughs) I can't take my eyes away. It's so shiny. Donny Osmond could have also played Buff Jesus in Jesus Christ Superstar, and I feel like that's a missed opportunity. (laughs) Andrew Lloyd Webber, you should have gotten on that. Right? What do you tell these hundred children who have to stand around a crouching Donny Osmond? Just look upset? Uh... This this man had to go through 12 detentions. <laughs> Feel like he went through 12 detentions. He's been in this cage for two weeks. This aesthetic yes. is all over the place. This is my fun Donny Osmond fact, if you don't know this. He's also the singer for I'll Make a Man Out of You from the Run. I, I did know that. I think he sounds like that in this song more than any other point I've ever heard him sing. Okay. Ever. 
tell him with your high notes. So Donnie sings a sad song. After Joseph laments his situation, some prisoners cheer him up with some nice metal lyrics. This is the start of Go Go Joseph, which is a song sequence fever dream. It's the end of act one. We're at the end of act one. Okay. So Go Go Joseph is a song that has a lot of dancing, but before we get to that, the plot also wants to happen a little bit. (laughs) Two new prisoners. It'd be a good time for that, I think, at the end of act one. Who needs it? At least. Joseph doesn't really At last, some plot. No, 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 no. Some plot, at last. Two new prisoners get brought into Joseph's cell. Both of them are the servants of the pharaoh. One is a butcher, one's a butler. They've both been thrown in jail for something. Reasons. They've pissed the pharaoh off in some way. Both of them are also having bad dreams. Wouldn't you know? And Joseph, being the kind guy he is, offers to interpret said dreams. So both the people tell him what they've been dreaming about. One of them has been dreaming about bread. One of them has been dreaming about grapes. You were Trixie. That's what I that came from. Question number seven. What does Joseph say about their dreams? What do their dreams mean? A, he says the butler will die and the baker will live. B, he says the baker will die and the butler will live. C, he says they're both going to die. Or D, he says they're both going to live. Can I ask who has the dream about what? You may. The baker dreams about bread. The butler dreams about grapes. That makes sense. I won't tell you their dreams. Okay. Because it's it's pretty obvious when you hear what the dreams are. Sure. Their dreams are fairly clear about what the message is. So Joseph pretty quickly says one of these things. Which is it? Uh, the butler's going to die and the baker's going to live. Baker's going to die and the butler's going to live. Both die or both live. God. Okay. I'm going to say both live. And I'm going to say that because it's the end of Act 1 and he wants to end on a high note and if you don't tell these people that they're going to live, then they're all going to like wallow in despair. And I'm probably wrong but I'm going with it anyway. I like your conviction. You are wrong, but I like your <laughs> conviction. Both going to die? They don't both die. Okay. Joseph says the pharaoh likes the butler but hates the baker and that he has it in for him the baker's execution date is already set but the butler is going to get a full pardon and return to his job so the baker dies the butler lives this uh shall we say causes a shift in the number the second half of go go joseph they all strip off their prison gowns and don 70s disco attire. And the second half congratulates Joseph and tells him to go after his dreams in kind of a 70s disco high energy finale. So you're right that we need a high energy number to end our show, but we are still telling people they're going to die. Okay. But go after your dreams. Sure. Your dream to be a baker will kill you because the pharaoh doesn't like your bread. Here's here's go go joseph it's again one of the weirdest numbers in the show this is is a fucked up musical i want to say that who are these prisoners who aren't in cages and allowed to just huddle around the walls are they prisoners who i don't know stole bread or something like they didn't fuck a wife they're just in here for lesser crimes Wait, we've been outside and you're on the marquee? What? I said some meta lyrics. I mean, we've read the book and you come out on top as a Bible reference. 
will ever see the light of day again. Hey, Joseph, help How us they know if his you name? Just hey, Joseph! I, in in the Bible, I think he's understand. a little more well-known as a dream interpreter. Okay. Yeah, and we're done with that plotline now. We need to get some dancing. This is gonna get stuck in your head. It won't go away. It's been in my head for three days. Yeah, I maintain the movie is the best because of the close-ups on the costumes in this number. All of them. All of them are good. So, we made it through Act 1. Joseph is still in jail, but he's gonna follow his dreams. And in Act 2, we're gonna go to some pretty crazy places. I think he's gonna follow other people's dreams first. <laughs> I mean, he just got talked to by these baker and butler who strolled on into his cage. I mean, no, he apparently needs to interpret some dreams right. before he'll follow his own dreams. Fair enough. But before that happens, we're going to take a quick break to get some water and go to the bathroom, check in to make sure you're still okay and everything. Join us back after the break when we'll find out what happens to Joseph and his family, as well as see where Patrick is stacking up with those points. I think I've got three. I'm very excited about that. One more and I'm the reigning champion. The reigning champion. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're excited because you still have quite a few questions and quite a few numbers to get through. So we're going to take a quick break for now, but we'll be back soon. See you after the intermission. Hey everyone, this is Haley. Unfortunately, we had a bit of a technical difficulty this month and this is going to be a bit shorter of an episode than usual. We finished recording at about 1 in the morning and I forgot to bounce the files for this when we finished. But when I came back to edit it, Pro Tools had eaten the second half of our recording and I can't find it anywhere. I don't want to throw all the work Patrick and me put into this episode away, but I also don't want to just leave you hanging with half of a show, so I'm going to try to quickly finish what you missed in Act 2. When we last left off, Joseph was still in jail, but also in Egypt, the pharaoh has been having very bad dreams. He's having a crazy dream about seven skinny cows and corn eating seven good cows and ears of corn. The butler, who has been pardoned from Act 1, knows that Joseph is still in jail and suggests to the pharaoh that he brings him to help interpret his dream. The pharaoh thinks this is a great idea and brings Joseph to his palace so he can tell him all about his dream in true Elvis impersonator fashion. Joseph is quickly able to interpret the dream, and he realizes it means there are about to be seven great years of bumper crops, followed by seven years of terrible famine. And he tells the pharaoh that he should find someone who can manage their food supply and help them through the hard years. The pharaoh is so impressed by Joseph's statement that he makes Joseph the person in charge of all the food, and Joseph creates the first food rationing in history. It goes over very well. However, while Egypt is doing fine under Joseph's supervision, the other countries around the area aren't doing so well, and back in Canaan, Jacob and his sons are in trouble. They don't have any food left to eat, they've sold all their sheep, and they're so poor and lonely that they even miss Joseph's fun stories about his dreams. They decide they can't stay in Canaan any longer and they have to go to Egypt to beg for food. So they go to the palace in Egypt, they walk all the way there, and who should be there to greet them but Joseph, the person in charge of food rationing. He immediately recognizes the family, but it's been so long that none of them recognize him. Given the situation, Joseph decides it would be an excellent time to play a trick on his brothers to get back at them for trying to kill him. He tells them they can have as much food as they want and gives them sackfuls of corn, but he also hides a golden cup in one of the sacks. And when they try to leave, he calls them thieves and says that one of them has stolen his golden cup. Obviously, all the brothers start emptying out their sacks trying to find it, and the youngest brother, Benjamin, has the cup in his sack. 
Joseph then says that he's going to send Benjamin to prison for the rest of his life. And all of the other brothers immediately come to his defense in a reggae-style calypso number, saying that Benjamin is the most innocent among them, and that they should be the ones put in prison for failing him. Joseph sees this, and he realizes his brothers maybe have changed. So he immediately calls off the trick and reveals himself to his family. His family is shocked to see him, but they're really happy. They're all able to forgive each other and make up. Joseph then takes his golden chariot to travel all the way back to Canaan and see his father, who didn't make the long journey, so he can be reunited with the whole family. All the kids come out one more time to sing the finale as a big group, and that's the end of the show. Patrick was only able to get one question right in our second act recording, but that does mean he finished our show with four points and is officially the new reigning champion of Broadway Battles. If you'd like to learn more about Patrick, you can follow him on Twitter at Chaotic Requiem. That's K-A-O-T-I-C-R-E-Q-U-I-E-M. He'll also be performing at the Great Dickens Christmas Fair at the Cow Palace in Daly City every weekend from November 23rd to December 22nd. Since Patrick didn't have a lot of stuff to plug, he also wanted me to tell you that you can see one of his favorite musicals in SF this fall, Groundhog Day, at the Playhouse Theater from November 20th to January 28th. Be sure to check it all out. If you want to help out this show, be sure to review, engage, and share wherever you're listening. Five stars on iTunes is really one of the best ways to help us get seen by more people. You can also find out more about the show or other work that I'm doing at HaleySlammon.com, HaleySlammon on Facebook, or at HaleySlammon on Instagram and Twitter. That's H-A-L-E-Y-S-L-A-M-O-N. If you're looking to support the show even more, you can also donate to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash It's as little as a dollar a month, and you get a lot of bonus content like uncut episodes with all of the bloopers left in, pictures, scripts for shows, and even the chance to suggest new topics and hang out with me. Once again, I'm sorry that we lost the recording and this episode is a little shorter than usual, but I really hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next month with another great new episode and another brand new show. Thank you so much again for taking the time to listen to this show and supporting our work any way you can. Every little bit really does help, and we couldn't do this without you. Until the next time, I'm Haley Slammon, and this has been another episode of Broadway Battles. Take care. <laughs>